the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. Brad Geiger and Neil Langland are back and we present our second look at the CU spring roster, this time focusing on the buff defense and special teams. The Colorado defense in 2021 struggled statistically, in part due to a CU offense, which had a hard time consistently putting together drives and staying on the field. The numbers? CU is 96th in the nation in rushing defense, 90th in the nation in passing defense, 98th in the nation in total defense, and 73rd in the nation in scoring defense, giving up 26.7 points per game. Now, the Buffs do return no fewer than five, count them five, senior defensive linemen. In all, there are seven upper-class defensive linemen back, including three starters. Will the experience on the line give CU some production making it easier for the Buff linebackers to make up for the losses of Nate Landman and Carson Wells. Will the three new transfers, Chance Main, Isaac Hurtado, and Jeremy Mack, have an instant impact? Is there enough young talent in the defensive backfield to make up for the loss of three starters? Or will the CU coaching staff be looking into the transfer portal for help this summer? Let's find out. Okay, and we're back. And we're back with Brad, Highlands Ranch Geiger. How's Brad doing today? Doing good. It is kind of spring-like in that it is a little misty and a little rainy and not beautiful. But as they say, we always need the moisture. Yes. (laughs) Who are those people? And Neil, Mr. Downtown Denver, Langland, how are you doing today? Doing fine. Had a nice uh, mild spring day. And I'm looking down now at the gas building with all the lights on 15th Street and just the uh, the crowd on Larimer Square. Everything seems to be spinning in greased grooves downtown. Wow. Greased grooves. Yeah. Um, I plagiarized that. We'll get back to it. But. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had a, a young client today. He said he had a, a vinyl collection. He said, those are records. It's like, uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, thank you, young man, for explaining to me what vinyl is translated as. <laughs> Not that we're old or anything like that. but Not at all. 
Okay. Not at all. Well, previously we talked a little bit about the uh, University of Colorado offense heading into spring practices 2022. And now we're going to talk a little bit about defense and the defensive side of the ball. Brad, looking back at 2021, Colorado rushing defense, 96th in the country. Passing defense, 90th in the country. Total defense, 98th in the country. But they were stingy, only 73rd in the country in scoring defense, giving up 26.7 points per game. So surprisingly enough, those numbers are better than the offensive side of the ball. So is there something to just big picture wise before we get into the units stuff to build on for the defense for 2022, or is this going to be a a rebuild for a defense that uh, did not perform even average compared to the rest of the country? Well, the three best players on that defense are not going to from last year are not going to be on the defense this year Two have graduated and one is transferred. I think we have more depth, but there are very definite concerns in the backfield. Uh, we're not sure who the linebackers are going to be. I, I think uh, there is a chance of us being as good as last year, perhaps a touch better, but this is not going to be, a steadfast group, I fear. <laughs> okay. Well, Neil, as Brad kind of alluded to, we were looking at only losing two seniors, Nate Landman, Carson Wells, well, also Mustafa Johnson. But now out of the top 10 tacklers from the 2021 season, tacklers number three, four, five, six, and seven are all not going to be on the roster. That would include, in addition to Carson Wells and Nate Landman, which were four and five, Mark Perry, number three, Christian Gonzalez, number six, and Mackay Blackman, number seven, constituting three-quarters of the defensive secondary. So big picture again, are you a little optimistic about the uh, defense that's ranked in the 90s nationally? having replaced five starters, six starters, if you can't Mustafa Johnson, or are we just uh, kidding ourselves that uh, we should be optimistic about the 2022 season? Honestly, I think um, in terms of statistics, we can improve that overall thing if the offense stays on the field a little bit longer and the defense doesn't have to play as many snaps. To the positions you mentioned, um, I think the thin group right now might be the defensive line, even though they have a couple of seasoned returners, there's not much behind them. And I think they're going to have to develop those guys. And that's going to be the key to it for me, because the defensive linemen, uh, typically their assignment is to occupy two offensive linemen if possible and prevent those linemen from getting onto the linebackers. If they're able to do that, then not being quite as strong at linebacker is not going to hurt us as much. In terms of the actual linebacker talent there, there are some kids at the very end who showed some athleticism and some skill. If that can be channeled, it'll be a downgrade, but hopefully by mid-season, they'll be playing um, decent football. Uh, The secondary, my God, I, I don't know what to think. I think there is, as everyone says, some young talent there. 
but it's so inexperienced and I fear that they're going to just get picked on. That's probably going to be the weakest spot, at least as we start the season. Okay. Well, Brad, let's go back and let's start off with the defensive line for a team that is perennially young. We got the old, you know, kind of the Dorian Gray of football rosters or something like that. Surprised to find that there are no fewer than five seniors along the defensive line. Just to read them off for you, you got Terrence Lang, returning starter, Janez Jordan, Justin Jackson, Jeremiah Doss, and Chance Maine. You can, you know, he's kind of either defensive end or outside linebacker, depending on what you want to put him on the edge. Uh, our incarnate word transfer. Washington State got the quarterback. We got the defensive end from Incarnate Word. Not too bad having five seniors, and then behind it are two more starters, junior Jalen Sammy and Naeem Rodman are juniors. So you got three starters back. You've got a total of seven upperclassmen along the defensive line. So should we not consider this to be a strength? Unquestionably, even in the first practice. Uh, the coach Durrell pointed out that Rodman was a solid player all last year. Lang is steady. Um, he has yet to be spectacular, but he is steady. It feels like we have enough strength and enough depth there. I'm going to have to still, I mean, the problem last year was that we never got good, consistent pressure on the quarterback from the defensive line. Um, they were capable of stopping the run. Generally, earlier in the game, and as Neil pointed out, I think they wore down as they were on the field consistently in the fourth quarter. But I think against not the most talented teams, but against many of the teams we play, they are capable of holding their own against the run. But we've got to find a way to get pressure on the quarterback, and that has not been this much of strength. Okay. Well, Neil, uh, in addition to the Seven upperclassmen, got some redshirt freshmen that haven't had a chance really to uh, strut their stuff yet. Tyus Martin, Ryan Williams, Allen Ball, and then Aaron Austin is the class of 2022 defensive lineman coming in. So do you see aces and spaces here, or do you think that uh, you know there's enough quality here to have a rotation that will be one of the better defensive lines in the Pac-12? I think the ceiling for the defensive line, whether it's three or four down, is probably middle of the pack. And that's assuming that they stay healthy, maybe a little bit higher. And I, I think Brad's right that against all but the top tier teams in the Pac-12, they should probably be okay. I'm not sure that the freshmen are going to factor in. They're probably just too young and need another year in the weight room or more time in the weight room with the strength and conditioning staff. So it's going to have to be the upperclassmen that carry the weighting and do most of the snaps. I don't think they're going to develop a pass rush either. I don't see it's going to come from the three or four down. They didn't get many sacks last year, except Mustafa had a few, but I don't see anyone replacing him as a pass rusher. So not moving ahead, but I think if we're looking for pressure, it's going to have to come either from the secondary or from the linebackers. Okay. Well, assuming our redshirt freshman 
safeties are not blitzing, Brad, we're going to have to go to the linebackers to try and find some help. Well, let's start on the outside. In addition to, uh, against Chance Main from Incarnate Words, kind of, he could be a, a red edge rusher, outside uh, linebacker. You got Jamar Montgomery and Guy Thomas, got two seniors coming back, and Joshka Gustav and Alvin Williams as sophomores. And then you've got down to the freshman, redshirt freshman, Devin Grant, Zion. Magali, I guess we'll have to get him onto the field so we know how to say his name. And then a couple of freshmen coming in, but they're probably not going to be participating until the summer. So do you see any abilities to uh, rush the passer out of that group? Is the outside linebackers not as good as we need him to be? Or is it uh, you see some talent in there that uh, maybe others aren't seeing? Well, I mean, it's going to depend a lot on Chance May. I mean, this is not somebody we've seen at this level. We don't know what he's going to be able to do and what he's going to grow into. But hopefully. You know, the other guys, they all got some time last year. But, I mean, I dare anybody off the top of their head to come up with a highlight um, is the thing. You know, it, And, you know, it's hard to really determine what they were capable of doing, but uh, this this group in particular on the outside has to step up, has to play better. We didn't get pressure from the outside last year, except when Wells was having a good game. Hopefully Chance Main can make a difference. You know, Thomas felt like at times he had something, but he he's missing a move or two. I mean, this these guys are going to need to be coached up, particularly on the outside, not just to rush the passer but to help with the uh, the outside running game as well. There were times last uh, last year when it felt like missed assignments were too common out there. Yeah. Well, Neil, the, our in-house pessimist, I'm guessing that uh, of the group that we have on the outside linebackers, you're not too uh, thrilled. Is this a position where the coaches should just be watching other spring games and hoping that there's, transfer portal help or do you think that there's a possibility that uh, one of these seniors or these sophomores can step up and and make plays for the University of Colorado against Pac-12 competition? Well, you know, at the defensive end OLB uh, position that Wells played last year, I was impressed with Devin Grant when he played um, Mm -hmm. in some of those last games and he showed some athleticism, aggressiveness, and some fire. He's not going to be Carson Wells overnight, but he, I think he has potential later in his career to be a similar player with similar effectiveness. You know, in terms of the other outside linebacker, even though Jack Lamb was labeled as an inside backer, he typically played on the outside. We're going to miss him. I'm not going to, I'm not sure who's going to step in on that other outside linebacker spot. So that's, that could be filled by four people any one of four people. So that's just going to have to be a wait and see. And I think there might be some flow between the inside and the outside guys. And this is a spot where possibly one of the freshmen might be able to step in and have an impact. Um, All of those guys seem to be impressive physical specimens. We'll see how quickly they can pick up the defense. Okay. 
Well, uh, you mentioned you referenced Jack Lamb, uh, the Notre Dame transfer, did get some play last year, but is now medically retired. Uh, that was one announcement that came, you know, right before the start of spring ball that he is not going to be on the team. Uh, medically retired basically means that his scholarship will still be honored, but he will no longer count against the 85-man scholarship limit when we hit August 1st and the NCAA starts counting heads. So moving to the inside, that was Nate Landman land for seems like a long period of time, but really was not all that long since he was injured and everything. But uh, having an NFL quality inside linebacker, you still have Quinn Perry, Brad, coming back as a starter. And Robert Barnes, the Oklahoma transfer, um, had his moments, had some decent games, decent plays um, coming in. And now he's going to be a senior along with Quinn Perry. You've got Marvin Ham as a sophomore. You've got another transfer, Isaac Hurtado, who is coming in from a California Community College. Uh, Mr. Williams, you know, one of those nice names you like to have. Um, as a linebacker, Mr. Williams, if he's dominant as a as a linebacker, you know he's going to get some NIL money because Mr. Williams is just too good of a name to pass up. And then one of the freshmen that is actually early enrolled, Yogan Carey, which was listed as an outside linebacker as a recruit, but has been moved on the roster to an inside linebacker spot. So Brad on the inside, a little more optimistic, a little more name recognition at least. Well, I mean, we know who Quinn Perry is. He is a solid ball player. And with another year's experience, I think he will continue to be. Uh, he doesn't have kind of the sideline to sideline motor that Nate Lamon had, but then again, who did? But he's probably going to be in the right place. He's probably going to make the tackle. He's not going to be spectacular on the other side of the line, but I think he's going to be there. Barnes has probably the highest ceiling of that bunch seems to have a little bit more talent and seems to read and react okay, Um, perhaps is capable of being more than okay. Again, if the defensive line can keep people off of those two, I I think we're going to be harder to run against up the middle. I think it's going to be hard to pound us. Boy, I'd like to not see another Minnesota game up the middle. So I'm hoping that that will come there. I do worry about who's going to cover tight ends, et cetera. (laughs) Okay, well, Neil, do you agree on at least on the inside running game with Quinn Perry back, Robert Barnes coming in, Marvin Ham there, and you've got you know three returning defensive line starters that at least in the interior of the Colorado defense, there's some reason for optimism? There is. In fact, I like Barnes. He came along during the season at OU. He had played more of a safety or a combo safety outside linebacker position. So moving into the inside, I think, took him a while to adjust. But he and Quinn Perry are solid there. Perry, I think, tended to overrun plays sometimes, but he's going to be a solid player. In terms of depth there, I think there could still be some flow between the inside and outside group, such that we may see Barnes going to the outside and maybe someone like Gustav coming in. It just depends how these guys did in the off-season conditioning program, whether they've grown and whether they're more comfortable on the inside. But I would expect to see some experimentation uh, among those two groups to see who will fit in 
But to answer your question now, overall, um, this may emerge as one of the strengths of the defense. Good. Well, that's good because now we're going to talk about the secondary, which should have been not only one of the, be the best units on the defense, but one of the best units on the team. If you had the four starters from last year, which includes safety Isaiah Lewis, and of course you had Christian Gonzalez, and you had Mark Perry, and you had Makai Blackman, you would have had, if you count two safeties, two corners, of course there's some nickel and stuff like that, but if 48 starts between the safeties and the corners, you had 48 starts coming back this year, and perhaps Christian Gonzalez at least getting some all Pac-12 recognition, and same with Lewis and Makai Blackman. He would have been at least a, a good-looking secondary, Pac-12-worthy secondary. But as we know, three-quarters of the defensive backfield has gone off to the transfer portal and are playing for other teams. So, Brad, let's start with the cornerbacks, where instead of having – Two shutdown corners, I think legitimate shutdown corners in Blackman and Gonzalez, you got a whole lot of question marks. Nigel Bethel and Jalen Stryker, the juniors. Nico Reed had some good games in November of last year. Now he'll be a sophomore along with Kalen Moore, Torn Pittman. And then you you start looking at freshmen. Uh, there's a couple early enrollees, Joshua Wiggins and Jason Oliver. We're going to get some time to impress the coaches this spring, but uh, how can you look at the cornerback roster at this point and not kind of cringe? Well, let's see. We've got a defense up front that we're questioning how we're going to get pressure on the quarterback. And then we have, uh, you know, Isaiah Lewis and a bunch of guys in the defensive backfield. I think Nico Reed can play. I don't think he can play with, you know, thank heavens Drake London has moved on to the next step because <laughs> we could have put four guys on him and not stopped him. Yes, we, had, we had Gonzalez and Blackman trying to cover Drake London yeah. and it didn't work. Um, well, we were not alone in that circumstance is all I will say. Yes. You know, it's, I think Nico Reed can play. He's not going to be great, but I think he can play and he might step up. I mean, he's going to be, to the extent that we're going to play man-to-man, -man, he's going to be the guy on whoever their guy is. Other than that, this is really, we're going to have to see what it looks like coming out of spring. You know, we talk about transfer portal, and sure, it would be nice to have another defensive lineman or another offensive lineman, but by gosh, if somebody doesn't, if somebody's got a cornerback that's a little bit deep, I would imagine that Durrell is looking at that room. I just, I just don't know. It's scary. Yeah. Um, it, it's going to have to be scheme. I think we're going to have to play a lot of nickel and dime um, just to try to get some sort of coverage out there, which means instead of, you know, four and inex three inexperienced guys, we'll have five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Neil, talk about Nico Reed. Um, I remember after the, the Washington game, he made some plays and the post game. Carl Durrell said, you know, Nico has lots of confidence. He comes up and says, get me in there. I'm going to make plays. Then in the Utah game, he has an interception and runs a kickoff back 100 yards for a touchdown. So man lives up to his uh, his own billing. So 
do you see any room for optimism here about the the young guys? You got a new cornerbacks coach in Rod Chance. Is this just a hope and pray kind of outfit, or is it just we're going to go through 15 spring practices and then bring in two graduate transfers? Well, absent a transfer, uh, I think if Bethel can stay healthy, he'll be on one side and Nico on the other. And that's not that's not an awful combination, I think. It's not great, but and it's not anywhere near what we had last year. But I see those as the top two corners out of this, this group. Uh, who would play slot corner or nickel or dime? I'm completely up for grabs now. I, I just don't have any vision or any insight into who those next guys could be because they just didn't get on the field very much last year. So it, it's a grab bag. And I would expect if any of these position groups on defense will be augmented through the portal, this would be the priority, uh, this in safety. So I'm crossing my fingers. And if the front seven don't hold up, this group is going to get a lot of action. Yeah. I'm afraid. Well, and again, you know, this was when we have those quality defensive backs, we're still 90th in pass defense. And again, part of that's from a lack of a pass rush. Part of that's from having an offense that went three and out more often than not. So, you know, numbers can be, construed and misconstrued any way you want, but it's still see you struggling in the past defense and looks to be a team that might struggle again in 2022. Uh, well, Brad, there is one starter back in the defensive backfield. And uh, I just got, you know, done posting the interview that I had with Isaiah Lewis, the senior safety, kind of the last man standing. And, you know, it was kind of, you know, kind of looking around the room and say, where'd everybody go? Because, um, now from having 48 potential starts from the defensive backfield, now we're down to 16 career starts in the defensive backfield, and Isaiah Lewis has 11 of those. Yeah. And he's one of those six-year seniors from the class of 2017. And then you do have some sophomores, Tyron Taylor, Trevor Woods, and you got another transfer in Jeremy Mack. Got to find a couple players in there to help Lewis out. Any one of those names jump out to you. I, you know, Tyron Taylor and Trevor Woods are kind of the same guy. They're both fine. At least last year they were. Um, it would be wonderful if they would step up and it's, it's kind of hard to tell what they would have done um, behind them. Isaiah is going to provide leadership, I think for the whole defense, but again, uh, Woods and Taylor have to step up. I think the, the transfer Mac. You know, he's not highly regarded, but he's got a chance to play. So I would suspect that uh, those four sophomores, Pittman, Taylor, Woods, and Mack, are going to be playing a lot of snaps um, in spring practice as the coaches try to find somebody who can stand back there. Yeah, um, well, yeah, they're not going to be lacking for reps. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so – you know, what you get out of 15 practices, what you get out of 15 practices, but uh, they're going to have to find some bodies to play because, you know, you got a point where you got a 
walk-on kicker that is now a walk-on cornerback for the University of Colorado and Mac Willis. Uh, let's hope that there are some bodies out there in the transfer portal. Unfortunately, we seem to be talking about that with several units on the team, both on both lines in the linebacker position, the, certainly in the defensive backfield. But you got to cut people now at this point. The uh, the roster right now stands at eighty four. You can only have eighty five. So if you're going to bring in several bodies over the course of the summer, that means. Some of these names that we've been mentioning are not going to be around um, come the fall of 2022. But one place that we can't, or the University of Colorado can't have much in the way of attrition, would be in the kicking game. Because Josh Watts, the incumbent punter, who was the number six punter in the country, is now in search of another school and has left in favor of Ashton Logan, who has been sitting patiently for two years now. He was a gray shirt and he's, you know, one of those quality punters. And, you know, it was either have a quality punter for one year or hopefully a quality punter for four years. And the coaching staff seemed to opt for opening for the four year starter and Cole Becker was the uh, kicker last year, didn't seem to get much of attention, but he was 14 for 20. He was 14 for 17 after he missed his first three to start the season. Um, Seemed pretty solid, had the game-winning 43-yard field goal and double overtime against Oregon State. Neil, I know you were chomping at the bit to talk about special teams. So uh, what do you think about CU's, uh, let's see, uh, how many were, two kickers on the roster? Yeah, I think we need some walk-ons to back them up. Number one, we have to have some kind of insurance unless there are others on the squad now that can fill those roles. I don't understand Josh Watts, why he moved on or if he was asked to move on. He seemed to be having a good season. Prospects in the offseason are getting stronger and having another good year and maybe on to the, the league after that. I wonder what happened there. Uh, if he was asked to move on or whatever. But Logan watched him some in warm-ups. He seems to have a strong leg. And now he's he's the guy. So I think he's going to be adequate. He may not have the leg that Watts did, but I think he'll be okay. Becker um, started out. He missed that one field goal. Was it against A&M? Just yeah. missed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but... From there on in, he seemed to to have nerves of steel and a nice strong leg. I think he's going to be even better. Uh, Probably one of the better place kickers that we may have had. He could develop into that in the last decade or so. But you can't go into a season without a backup at those positions. You have to have that. And I think they're going to have to make that amend through the portal somehow uh, or walk-ons someone to, to fill those spots. Yeah. Well, you could always go down to the defensive backfield and say, Mr. Willis, would you please come back and uh, do some kicking for us? So at least there's a walk on wandering around that has kicking experience. Mm-hmm. Brad, we only got two kickers back. The primary returners last year were Brandon Rice and Dimitri Stanley. Oh yeah. They're not there anymore. Um, yeah. So <laughs> USC players. Yeah, one's USC and one's Iowa State. Well, <laughs> I think Dimitri Stanley's going to have to do some returning kicks for Iowa State. He wanted to get 70 touches. Um, so 
You know, I think if he's going to get 70 touches for Iowa State, he's going to be returning a lot of kicks because he's not going to get 70 passes thrown his way. But uh, usually I'm not too worried about returners. There's lots of speed, defensive backfield, lots of wide receivers on the roster. And that's usually not determined until fall anyway. But special teams, something that uh, we can not worry about because we got two apparently quality kickers, or is it, you know, what, where did, you know, where have you gone, Evan Price, you know, type of thing? You know, I, I think we're fine at starters. I think the best indication of how good Logan is, is the fact that Josh Watts left. Yeah. Um, they, they kicked together the whole time. If uh, So I think Watts, I suspect, saw some writing on the walls. I think Becker's a solid kicker, maybe a bit above solid um, and has the capacity to do it. Um, you're always worried when you're one hamstring injury away from, a walk-on kicking off or trying to get an extra point, but that's where we're going to be. I think Nico Reek can return kicks. I'm not all that worried about that. Punt returning always makes me feel a little bit more nervous, but I mean, there are players who are going to be competing for their spot on the roster for whom punt and kick return may be very, very, very important positions. Yeah. So, you know, I'm no, we don't have a Walter Stanley back there to be doing anything exciting or hopefully anything other things Walter did. But, <laughs> you could say Ben uh, Kelly. How's that? You know, yeah, how about Ben Kelly? Yeah. But I think, yeah, no, we're not going to be game breaking. I think Becker has the mentality to kick the last minute field goal if we need to. So I'm fine. Like I said, it would be sure it'd be nice to have somebody on the roster who could do there in case something bad happens. But most teams, honestly, are there. Those are not roster spots that you have generally a lot of great depth at. Yeah. Well, and uh, I think to answer what you were talking about with regards to Josh Watts and Neil's concern, I think that was probably always the plan that this would have been Josh Watts' sixth season. And it came down to, you know, how many roster spots do you have? And they already asked, asked Ashton Logan to sit out a gray shirt year. So he's already sat out one year, sit out another, you know, so he's still got five years to play four. So I think, yeah, it was just the writing was on the wall that Josh Watts wasn't going to play this year and Ashton Logan was going to get his shot. And yeah, return game, it's, Nice to have something other than Nelson Spruce doing fair catches. But, yeah, Nico Reed, 100-yard kickoff return against Utah. So he's got a one-game streak of returning kickoffs for touchdowns. So all he has to do is that 12 more games this year, and he'll be an all-pro. I just want to talk a little bit or get your guys' impressions on some quotes from Coach Carl Durrell after the first day of practice. With regards to uh, the defense, He said, I felt defensively we have some new pieces out there and they're doing some really, really good things. I saw some really good competitive work. Other quote he talked, and this is more general to the team, they're encouraging each other as well. And that's on both sides of the ball. And they're having fun out there. You see that. You don't see the frustration. You don't see I'm upset with the coach or I'm upset with another teammate or anything like that. I just see a team that's a little more cohesive, that's a little more built like a team. So, Neil, I'll start with you. Is that just a coach speak, or does that give you some encouragement about what's going on in Boulder right now? Well, I think a lot of it is coach speak. 
I think about the only salient point and one that the uh, CU publicity office has been pushing now is that rather than having offensive position groups that are dissatisfied with their coach and frustrated and kind of phoning it in, there now seems to be a sense of unity and purpose and, and energy. Perhaps that's what Durrell was alluding to. In terms of the rest of it, it's just boilerplate. Okay. Brad, uh, you got any sense of optimism about what you're hearing out of Boulder so far? Or again, is it, you know, you're not going to expect the coaches to come out and say, wow, I don't know if we're going to win a game this year. You know, I mean, no. it's, but we have heard Carl say in the past that he was unsatisfied with the practice, that he didn't like how the team was going together. You know, those are the very few things that he will say that are in any way critical. So that he, the fact that he's saying the opposite, um, especially given the upward, the over, the uh, change in all of the coaching, I get it. it's coach speak, but I think if there was not some improvement, Carl would not have mentioned it. Yeah. Um, I'm more hopeful that he specifically pointed out that Brandon Lewis is doing better. Um, I'm hopeful that we all know that JT Shrout's on the field and, you know, that there's some depth there. So, I mean, it's the first practice. That's the reality. Um, They're still trying to figure out how this coaching staff is going to work together. They're still trying to figure out how these players are going to work together. None of what Darrell said is of great deal of meaning, but we're reading tea leaves at this point. So let's hope, you know, everybody should be optimistic in spring practice. Yeah. Well, and if I may, Stuart, can I just add something yeah. real quick? I think part of the, the energy and the unification seems to be that there was friction on the offensive side last time with the old line mm-hmm. coach. That was just a mess. It never seemed that Darrell and the OC were on the same page. That seemed to be, um, not a smooth transition. It seems now that Darrell has his guys in key positions, and that's going to help, at least on the offensive side. I, I think that that is key, and if there's any cause for optimism would be the way this coaching staff seems to have come out and at least begun to win the hearts and minds of the players and their colleagues. That's going to help at least on offense. The defensive side seemed to me also last year to be not as coherent as perhaps or not as as unified as it could be. But with having the same defense, with having mostly the same coaches, um, I think that, well, no, there are several new faces on, on, offense, on defense. But I think the defense probably is going to have a little better continuity, a little better grasp of the defense this year. And if there's any cause for hope on that side of the ball, that would be it for me. Yeah. yeah. And if I, if I can follow up on that, I did love some of the fact that Sanford was hired on the offensive coordinator. He's not an exciting kind of guy, but he's a damn pro. And I don't think that he and Darrell are going to tolerate any of that stuff. As much as we all love Darren Cheverini's attitude, I think we saw more and more that he just didn't know how to run that room and didn't know how to run his people. And I think Sanford was brought in, as Neil quite accurately put out, to coordinate that entire staff and get them back together. And maybe that's what Carl's trying to tell us. Yeah. Well, also, I, I think having the OC be the QB coach is a much more natural fit than having the OC coach the wide receivers. 
it seems to me that the QB and the OC have to have a meeting of minds and an understanding of the offense that perhaps it just wasn't possible with that old assignment of duties. Yeah. Well, and from the interviews I've been doing for the NIL campaign, the podcasts, you know, the underlying current, I think, kind of echoes that, that the theme is kind of like the guys that are there are the ones that want to be there and the guys that have bought in and maybe aren't as much about me as they are about team. And they didn't come out and specifically say that about any specific player. Of course, they were all teammates and they're all friends and colleagues and stuff like that. But there was kind of a, a reoccurring theme that this, you guys talked about the coaching staff being more cohesive. I think the locker room is a little more cohesive. Now, it's not enough to have a unified team. You've got to have talent. And it remains to be seen whether or not there's enough talent on this defense to be competitive day in and day out, week in and week out against Pac-12 and Power 5 competition. But for now, we're going to leave it at that. Brad, any words of wisdom you'd like to leave us with as we take a deep dive into spring practices 2022? Obviously, ignore about 85% of what gets said. If, however, you hear a player that you aren't familiar with get mentioned a couple of times, that's somebody to probably start getting familiar with. You know, it's, it's, in the military, they call it mentioned in dispatches. <laughs> you know, if, if you start hearing different names, Darrell's pretty clear about that. If, if he sees somebody who's stepping up, he'll tell you. And for example, he mentioned Rodman this week. If you hear that name keep coming up, that's probably a good thing. So keep your ear open for that and a little less open for, you know, it was a good solid practice and everybody seemed to really begin to start to coordinate together. Yeah. A lot of good effort out there. You know, work hard. <laughs> How about from uh, downtown Denver? Words of wisdom to uh, send us off into the night with. Well, I'm about 25 miles away from Folsom. And I would say a week from Saturday and uh, then again for the spring scrimmage. If you're around, go out and take a look for yourself and see what guys are are taking snaps and see which guys look bigger, stronger and faster. and you know, how are the coaches relating to players? Just get a feel for it yourself. I think it's going to be hard for the Buffs to win six games, but it's not outside the realm of possibility, but it's going to take all the right things to happen. But there is some, some small chance, I think, that this could be um, an improvement over last year. Okay, well, the 2016 team, you know, was one of those teams that had a lot of seniors on it and just banded together and said, we're tired of losing. And they went out and surprised us all. So for now, we'll just say go Buffs, and we will talk to both of you again very soon. Thanks for listening. Brad and Neil will be back in a few weeks as we take a look at the progress being made during spring practices and then again after the spring scrimmage to wrap up what we've learned about the 2022 CU team heading into the summer. I will also be continuing on with the See You at the Game NIL podcast campaign, 
as we have now reached the midway point of our 20 interview series. The interviews will continue throughout the remainder of the spring, so I hope that you have subscribed to the podcast at your favorite podcast site so that you won't miss any of the new interviews. And so, until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time when we will again see you at the game.